Hello, and welcome to the RBC Global Asset Management Navigator podcast. My name is Mindy Fry, Institutional Portfolio Manager with the Impact Investing Team at RBC. And today I'm joined by Ron Homer, Chief Strategist of US Impact Investing at RBC Global Asset Management. In today's episode of the Navigator podcast, we're going to discuss impact investing and how the field has evolved over the past 25 years. Ron, thank you so much for being with us here today. I wanted to talk about how there have been so many changes that have occurred policy-wise and in the financial industry since 1998, since which is when you started uh, in community investing. And while most of them have been quite positive, there are a lot of people who still believe that for more positive impact within these communities and for the environment, there are additional things that need to occur. And so I thought today we could talk a bit about what needs to happen in order to maximize the flow of capital to the communities that need it most. And uh, maybe to start that off, it would be helpful if we defined what is impact investing and how do you view that as different from ESG investing? So impact investing and ESG investing are, are part of the same family in that uh, they combine investing with uh, social alpha, social goals. The difference is that impact investing is when you are investing for a very specific social outcome as well as a financial return. Whereas ESG investing is, is more focused on the process of an outcome. So it could, you could have any product or any outcome, but you could evaluate it based on um, environmental, social, or governance factors. So there's a, a, a major difference in that impact investing is very spe specific. You're looking to uh, combine both an investment alpha and a social alpha under one umbrella. There's been a ton of backlash uh, on ESG recently, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about why you see their controversy um, in impact and ESG investing. So I, I think the first uh, um, concern is, uh, is, is should investments be agnostic or should they have values? Uh, and so I, I think you can take a position uh, on, on either side of the equation. Unfortunately, some people are taking fairly strong positions, uh, eliminating um, uh, the other uh, way to look at things. I think that... Um, so that's one concern. The second concern is that uh, many people on the investment side feel that by introducing other factors other than the pure financial evaluation that you may in somehow uh, impair uh, your investment returns. And then the third, and this more relates to uh, impact investing, although it could apply to ESG investing, when people feel that the, the 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 social goals or the social process, whether it's ESG or or the goal on impact investing, is more preeminent than the financial return, so I think from that standpoint, uh, uh, some of it is a misunderstanding. Some of it may be the way it's been applied by a different practitioner. It's like everything else; uh, you can have some processes that are better than others. And so I think the controversy comes when you conflate 
some of those issues together. But also, there are many people who may disagree with the measurement of social impact. They may feel that that the social outcome is uh, not important or may even uh, disagree on whether it's a valuable social impact. I mean, climate change is, uh, uh, although it's, it's changing over the past 25 years, but climate change is a good issue. There are some people who deny, who, who, who still deny that climate change is related to uh, uh, factors created by mankind versus natural events. And so uh, if you start to invest for climate change, to them, that would be an oxymoron. So I, I think those are uh, uh, those are some of the reasons of why it becomes controversial. Uh, I think it's important for the practitioners of ESG and impact investing to be clear in what their goals are and to be very specific as to why that outcome may be important or why that process may be important. And even more importantly, how it may or may not contribute to financial returns. Yeah, so that brings up an interesting point. Um, does impact investing have to be concessionary or are there market-driven solutions? Actually, I think for it to be sustainable in the long term, it has to produce market returns. That's not to say that there's not room for concessionary investing, but usually we call those by other things like subsidies or infrastructure or uh, longer term investments where where uh, I mean, we 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 do a lot of things usually through governments or through social uh, uh, agencies or philanthropy to create an environment in which capital can can flourish. And so some people uh, will use the term impact investing for setting the ground rules and the, 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 the framework for more sustainable investment. I, I happen to think to actually have lasting sustainable impact, it has to be market driven. So I mentioned in the intro that uh, you've been doing, you've been at this since 1998. So coming up on 25 years, which is pretty remarkable. When you look back, are there any specific milestones or notable things in the in how the space has evolved over those twenty five years? Well, I think society in general has evolved in the last twenty five years. Um, if you take a, a factor like racial disparities, that people have always had a a, a sense of it, an understanding of it, but I think the, the the uh, George Floyd murder, the impact of COVID-19, the disparate impact on different communities sort of highlighted uh, those disparities and it caused people to ask the question, uh, how did this happen and how can we change it? So whenever people ask questions and are looking for solutions, then I think that opens the door for for impact investing and for strategies that can can adopt it. Same thing with with uh, climate change. Uh, uh, as I mentioned, that the amount of people who attributed it to man's own actions versus natural forces has changed. Uh, the science has changed over time. So all of that has contributed to opportunities to make investments 
that helps solve for those issues. I also think that um, the global movement, the publication of the UN Sustainable Development Goals have helped crystallize what are social goals and what could be some universal social goals. So to the extent that you have a set of goals that are are adapted universally or, or near universally universal, that also helps to provide a framework for making investments that uh, that can address those issues. Thanks. That's that's really interesting. When you reflect on uh, your 25 years and and you look at how things have evolved over time and where we are today, are there specific opportunities that you see in this space that maybe weren't there 25 years ago? Or challenges for that matter? I mean, it, it, you know, the, I, things have evolved, but what would be the opportunities and challenges here? Oh, uh, there... There are a number of uh, new uh, new opportunities or opportunities that evolve just by the nature of, um, of of the changes that have taken place in the last 25 years. Look at all of look at the impact of the internet. We now have artificial intelligence. We have uh, uh, a lot more social. No, I can't think of the word. Uh, uh, social media. So we have a, a, a more communication. So I. I I, I think one example is the changing demographics. And um, if you just look at the statistics in terms of the age of population, so in the U- U.S., the white population is getting older, uh, and the, uh, particularly in the Hispanic and Latin- Latinx population is much younger. Uh, so over time, those demographics are going to make even a more compelling case for a more inclusive society. So I, th- I think the demographic shifts make the disparities in how to build a more inclusive society more compelling. And uh, secondly, I think the nature of, um, of our economy, when you had an agrarian economy or an industrial economy strictly, then you needed low-cost labor as you move to a more knowledge-based economy and a consumer-based economy. Now you need a better informed, more highly educated, highly skilled population. And to convert that, you need investment, whether it's investment in education or investment in in, uh, infrastructure. So I think the demographics and the ability to communicate and contact people more efficiently will help facilitate impact investing strategies. For example, for a long time, we knew that that uh, lower income people, uh, we have a whole history of this country where immigrants have come, built their way, had home ownership, started business, grew communities. And um, we've, we've known that, that uh, there's a way to do that I think some communities have been more underserved because the cost of reaching those communities outweighed the benefits of spending the money to go out to, uh, to develop those markets. But as I've mentioned, the changing demographics, the, the impact overall on, on our economic condition as a whole, having this disparity has become greater. And so all of that 
lends itself to uh, have people look at ways to make investments that help will help it, uh, narrow those gaps and create more inclusive societies. Along those lines, then, do, do you see, as you look forward, some challenges that impact investors might face? Well, there's always, uh, anytime you do something a little different or you challenge the orthodoxy or you come up with something new, there'll be blowback. I think um, uh, you mentioned 25 years, uh, I've gone back even farther than that, and there's been the, the, the politics and the values change over time. And so there, there'll be ebbs and flows uh, on, on investment. But I think, I think these issues are so compelling and the need for collaboration and cooperation and, and a more uh, uh, inclusive global society will outweigh the temporary obstacles. Uh, that's not to say we won't have, um, we, we see it today where there's a pullback, more nationalism. We see a war in Europe. We see potential wars in Asia. Uh, but over the long term, uh, I guess I'm hopeful that, uh, that the need to build a common society and a world that we can all live in that uh, is sustainable will outweigh the temporary obstacles. Well, that's spoken like a, a true optimist, Ron. Thank you so much for joining us today. I think you know, impact investing has, uh, has quite a past. It occupies an important place in the investment industry, and I hope that that continues to be the case. We appreciate your ability to look back on how far we've come over the past 25 years and to project the future of impact investing as, as best as we can. Thank you so much to our listeners for tuning into this episode of The Navigator. It has been our pleasure. This podcast is provided by RBC Global Asset Management, RBC GAM, for informational purposes and may not be reproduced, distributed, or published without the written consent of RBC GAM. This podcast does not constitute an offer or solicitation to buy or to sell any security product or service in any jurisdiction nor is it intended to provide investment, financial, legal accounting, tax, or other advice, and such information should not be relied or acted upon for providing such advice. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This product is not available for distribution to investors in jurisdictions where such distribution would be prohibited. Investment and economic outlook information has been compiled by RBC GAM from various sources. Information obtained from third parties is believed to be reliable, but no representation or warranty expressed or implied is made by RBC GAM or its affiliates or any persons as to its accuracy, completeness, or correctness. RBC GAM and its affiliates assume no responsibility for any errors or omissions.